Hi, everyone. How are you doing? It is the 3rd, <clears throat> excuse me, of November 2022. My name is Luke Thomas. This is the uh, Luke Thomas live chat. I hope you're doing well on this Thursday uh, here on the show. Um, as you guys know, this is my personal live chat. I put up a post on the community thread, he, thread excuse me, here at youtube.com slash Luke Thomas. You guys fill it up. And then we react to it for about an hour with free questions. If you want to get a paid question in, we'll get to those at the end. You can use the Super Chat functionality. And of course, if you're listening to this on your favorite podcast platform via audio, please be so kind as to give it a nice review. I always appreciate that when you do. Uh, let's see. On the docket today, uh, I glanced at it. It seems like there's some stuff about Sean O'Malley, Nate Diaz, maybe some Jake Paul. We don't have to talk about it if you don't want to, but if you do, we can. Really, it's up to you. It's up to you. So, uh, thumbs up on the video if you're watching. Please hit subscribe if you are new. And, uh, yeah, I think that's about it. So, without further ado, let's get going, shall we? All right. And we are back. Uh, a couple of housekeeping notes. Let me show everyone something, if I can. Let's see. Um, people have been saying, oh, I can't find some of your videos on YouTube. Uh, but you got to, I'm going to show you something here for just a second. Check this out. So here's what you got to see here. I'll do it this way so you can see. It used to be just videos and then like community and playlists and store. Now, if you go to videos, it's the ones that I upload that are not live. If you go to shorts, it's obviously what you could imagine. It's the shorts. I have another one up on Islam Makachev. And then last but not least, it has live. This is where all of the live ones will go, right? So just as sort of a heads up on all of that, what that's all about is uh, YouTube refreshed how they work their browsers and their layout, not their browsers, but how they work their channel pages. And so there's been some readjustments. So if you're looking for things, they're over there. Um, I'm trying to see if I had anything else to mention to you guys. You know, what's kind of funny. I don't know if anyone's asked about this. I guess we can get to it later if someone has, but... Uh, or maybe I'll just do it now. I don't, again, I haven't even seen if anyone's asked about this. I can pull up the questions. But I'm watching all of this Kyrie Irving coverage. And obviously, Kyrie has, you know, problems. And he's got a worldview that is just not rooted in anything um, evidentiary. But it's kind of amazing to me to watch, like, it's not, like all of the regular sports people that I follow – and like all of the major sports channels that I follow and everything, it's nonstop wall-to-wall Kyrie coverage because he watched uh, a very stupid and then ultimately uh, anti-Semitic documentary on Amazon. Boy, I got to tell you, if that guy was a combat sports athlete, I don't think there'd be a news cycle around this. For better or for worse, um, <laughs> you know, I don't think the community, if you try to police this stuff, they'll drum you out. And I don't know that the majority of, I could be wrong, certainly, I don't think the majority of the audience tends to care very much, and there just doesn't seem to be much appetite for it. There is relentless appetite for it in stick and ball sports, in part because these organizations cast a much wider, I think, social net in terms of who watches their product. Also, brands have to protect their image and everything else. So there's a lot of like top-down corporate pressure that kind of polices the ranks a little bit. Uh, and sometimes that can go, let me take this watch off, sometimes that can go uh, too far, but in the case of Kyrie Irving, at least they're attempting to have some kind of, I don't know, I don't know quite what the word is. They're they are trying to, oh, they're trying to help this fucking guy. Um, but in any case, 
it's amazing to me, like the stuff that people say in either, not just MMA, boxing, actually boxing is just as worse, if not bad in many cases, stuff that they say over there that there's like no news cycle about ever, uh, MMA, UFC or otherwise, ever. And then Kyrie Irving says, yeah, admittedly something despicable. I want to be very clear about that. I'm not in any way defending it. I'm just sort of pointing out like there's like dramatically different responses between the communities of combat sports and then stick and ball sports and how they navigate athletes who either say or do, what do you want to call them, dubious or otherwise uh, unfortunate things. Uh, in the case of Kyrie, obviously, it was that... I mean, Kyrie's been saying that the world is flat for a while. I mean, this is not someone whose judgment beyond the scope of basketball we necessarily have to trust, but it's just amazing to me. It's wall-to-wall coverage on Kyrie. I don't think there'd be a day of coverage for it in uh, in combat sports. Take that for what it's worth. All right, let's get this party started. Um, let's see what you got for me. Uh, oh, oh, so it's like it's like 307. So we'll go to about 407 with the questions. And then we if you have any paid ones, we'll get to those there. You can use the super chat functionality. All right. Actually, let's open this up a little bit. From a recent interview uh with Dan Hardy regarding the woman he allegedly mistreated, quote, to this day, I'm constantly hearing about about it, how obstructive and difficult she is to work with, Hardy said. I'm not making this up. People know this. There's a lot of people listening right now who know exactly who this person is, and they could vouch for me, but they can't vouch for me because if you speak out, your media credentials are gone. You don't get access. They'll attack your sponsors. They'll do whatever they can to maintain control. I'm not asking you to name drop the woman in question. Good, because I don't know who it is. But can you confirm that you know of this person? I've heard who it is, but I truly, when I say this, rumor. And if what Hardy says about her is true to the best of your knowledge, any other thoughts on the situation are welcome. Um, I've heard who it is. I don't know that it's in any... Well, let me back up a step here. I've heard who it is. I've never even bothered to confirm it because I largely don't care. Uh, not that I don't care about Dan. I love Dan. I think he's great. By the way, anytime I've worked with Dan, and again, this is going to be limited and by definition anecdotal. Anytime I worked with him, he was great. Um, he was a pro. I've done radio shows with him, uh, you know, uh, not a huge variety of things, but like, you know, we've interacted with over the years many times. He'd never been anything but a pro to me. Take that for what it's worth. That that, that in no way has a bearing on that. I'm just trying to tell you what my experience is. Um, Yes, I have heard who the person is, but I don't, I've never bothered to confirm, nor do I really care. The only thing I would say about this is, let me go back to this part right here. Your media credentials are gone. Now, this is is an interesting one because I hear this one all the time. And um, it might be true in... Well, here's the thing. When was the last time the UFC yanked someone's credentials that they had previously given credentials? Uh, I tend to think they have gotten away from that process. I I can't say that for certain. Um, Obviously, the most high-profile one that I can remember that was more recent, and it wasn't recent at all, but like UFC 199, everything with Ariel and the Brock Lesnar announcement around UFC 200, ultimately there was this big media uh, blowback, and he got reinstated, but obviously his you know, relationship with UFC was never quite the same. He's spoken about that. You don't have to hear my words on it, but um, since then, I don't know that they've done that, you know, you Whatever you thought about my views on the pandemic, they didn't yank my credentials after that. I went to a show very recently. Now, I don't have credentials for 281, but only because I didn't apply for them. It actually is better, even though it's in New York, if we, not that we don't have access, but we don't really need it for what we're doing. 
So, because we have this, like, here's the thing, like, where am I going to do my post-fight show? Am I going to do it in Madison Square Garden? You can, there, I've done it there a couple of times, but it's never a great scenario. It's better just to be in your studio. But the, the thing I'm trying to mention here, and, and as I wander about, is that it used to be the case to me that that was a real threat, like where you just didn't know if they were just never going to let you back in. This was the early days of the UFC. So like anywhere from post-Ultimate Fighter to, let's say, it, it waned over time. But, you know, I think Jonathan Snowden obviously said one time, like, not to buy a pay-per-view, and they took his credentials. They never reinstated him. But, like, after that, there was a, there was a, that period there um, where they did all that. And then I, maybe it's since the aerial thing. I don't even actually know. But it has been a while, in my judgment, since they've done that. They've been very tolerant, uh, relatively speaking, of negative coverage. So it's not that I can say definitively that that's not in play. But what I can say definitively is it's not nearly in play as much as it once was that is it is very much changed in terms of the kinds of things that the ufc would tolerate and still grant credentials to moreover i think the other point i would make here is for a certain kind of person credentials are highly important right if you're the lead guy at mma fighting or junkie or sure dog or weekly or whatever your media outlet is and you're the guy that has to go to the media events to the workouts to the weigh-ins and then get get the footage put it up and you're responsible for that yes credentials are quite literally essential to your job but for everyone else it's not necessarily all that essential it can be quite beneficial i'm not here to tell you that they're not valuable they can be valuable um, especially if you're in between jobs and trying to get one if you are able to get credentialed the uh, your chances of getting hired are certainly much higher um but it's not what it used to be back in like 2010 where it was like everyone had to go to the shows everyone like that was the way you made your name um, now the game is much different. You can make a name all different kinds of ways. Um, you can make a name doing interviews. You can make a name doing social media stuff or you're just a TikTok guy or Instagram guy or whatever. The platforms are so powerful now that if you can master them, and of course most people can't, but if you can, I'm just trying to point out that the credential thing, I hear that a lot. I saw Josh Thompson had a, had a, a, a challenge to the media about covering this Bellator Ryzen crossover. And he was like, do you, are you worried about your getting your credentials taken? You know, respectfully to Josh, what I would say is covering the Bellator versus Ryzen thing would I, I, in no way challenge your credentials whatsoever. Like I would bet my, I'd bet my career on it. I'd bet my career that they wouldn't care even a little bit. Um, the question would actually be to what extent is it in your interest to, or your responsibility as a media person to not promote it but to cover it separate conversation but taking your credentials they're not going to take your credentials for that ever um they don't care they're not they're not that invested in, in that way so um mostly these like these beefs within the industry i largely don't care about them i'm probably the wrong guy to ask <laughs> sorry uh okay being a retired journalist, I've abstained from most if not all legacy media. I worked in, in in excuse me, I worked in the industry for close to 15 years in Africa and Europe and during this my ha my news habits changed enormously. I'm curious as to your personal news consumption, which outlets do you maintain a consistent viewing reading with? Are you familiar with the great work of blah 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 blah? Okay. Um the answer is I've not utterly given up on legacy media, but I what I would say is at this point, you cannot, you have to have a diverse, um, it, it, for any number of reasons, the atomization of media basically requires it. Um, and the, so yes, do I still read legacy media? I do. I'm a subscriber to the Washington Post. It's my hometown newspaper. And of course they cover things locally for me. 
Um, I feel an obligation as a resident here to support the local media to the extent that I can. I read other ones. I read the Times. Um, I read DCist. You know, uh, Popville. You guys might not know some of these outlets, but you know, uh, Washington City Paper. So I feel an obligation to support as many of these outlets as I can. But if you're just speaking about the broader world, it is quite obvious at this point that if you are going to read legacy media, it is incumbent upon you to read or consume whatever indie media and, uh, and, and in particular subject matter experts that are not part of potentially any I, I, either media system that are able to weigh in effectively with what their best assessment of the truth can be. I have found that in any sort of segment of media, they're going to have blind spots. I think in legacy media, they have just any number of them. But in Indian media, I have found that there's this like really, uh, I mean, we live in a very unequal time, but even with the un inequality, which is just cancerous for society, and so Indian media is very right to pick up on that, there's almost this like even beyond that obsession with it um, where it defines every measure of coverage, even in situations where it wouldn't necessarily be all that relevant. So you have to understand that no matter what media institution and what variety of it, they're all going to have blind spots and they're all going to have limitations. I think the best thing you can do is try and find subjects that you care about, try and find subject matter experts that you can reasonably follow their work or whatever, and then try to have a balanced perspective on it. I'm not sure exactly how to give you one like I can just tell you this, for example, like here's just a sort of a semi-neutral one. What do, what do I do if I want news about Colombia, and in particular written in English? Like my Spanish is okay, but it's not good. It's like it's not really good enough to consistently read the newspaper without having to go and translate stuff, right? It's not good enough for that. Um, especially like if you get like editorials, I really have trouble with that. Uh, what, what am I supposed to do? Well, the best English language coverage of South America requires me, and isn't I don't know if people in Europe people watching from Europe would agree with this, but as an American, I can tell you very much this is true. If you want good English language coverage of South America, you have to go to England. You have to go to like BBC or The Economist, but then you run into another problem, which is that they're going to have all kinds of limitations for that. So what I try to find is individual people. There's actually some folks that are in Bogota that are from Reuters, whose coverage I found to be very even-handed. I've had to find that over time. It takes a while. It takes a while to find individual pockets of expertise, individual pockets of trustworthiness, and then balancing against all these competing claims and sometimes interests. But the best thing you can do is try to get as broad a perspective as you possibly can, try to pick issues that you care about, and then really try and find um, a wide swath of voices with a focus on subject matter experts that are not necessarily part of any ecosystem. You might They might pop up here, they might pop up there. But the thing I would also tell you is like as part of legacy media, do not watch cable news ever. Do not watch MSNBC. Do not watch CNN. Do not watch Fox. I, I watched a little bit just for fun when I was in Arizona recently. Just like, what, what's it like to watch cable news? And I flipped back and forth between the three major ones. I couldn't fucking believe what I was looking at. I mean, it is just fever swamp after fever swamp after fever swamp. They are not designed to inform you. Ultimately, what you really need is someone who is reasonably trustworthy because they will get it wrong too, and they're out to actually reasonably inform you. That's what they're trying to do. That's what you have to find, and you have to do digging for that, and it's it's just not very easy. Um, so have I utterly given up on legacy media? No. 
but I now doubt their trustworthiness enough such that I really know that I have to get competing. I have to see what competing claims along the same issue from an indie media or somebody else has to do. Like, uh, here's another great example. If you guys are interested in Monopoly, let me pull up his tweeter, his tweeter, pull up his tweets here. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. Where is he? Here it is. Matt Stoller. Matt Stoller. I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. Um, he has a, he focuses just on Monopoly and I mean, more than just that, but that's really what he does. He has a, a newsletter called big on Substack where he focuses on corporate consolidation, the effects of Monopoly, what's being done to combat it. And he's got, you know, this is his beat. This is his expertise. So what I'll do is I might read an article that I find in whatever the place, the post, let's say, and then I'll match that against how he assesses it. And I began to see like where the cracks in the coverage might be, or maybe he outright says this is a great piece or whatever. I find that those voices like that here, I'll put this up here if I can. Oh, Jesus Christ. Hang on. Here's a good example of one. Look here. This guy, Matt Stoller. Here, let me blow this up. This dude. Uh, so if you're interested in somebody who actually cares about having um, an economy that's not overrun with corporate consolidation and interested in coverage of antitrust that's actually beneficial and can help you navigate some of these issues, this dude, here, I'll put it like this. This dude is quite good, quite good. And I just had to dig around and find people like that. That's the best I can do. And none of these people, by the way, are in any way like... Uh, you know, they're going to be wrong time to time as well, but that's the best that you can hope for, I think. That's the best I can come up with. Shit. Uh, let's see. Thanks for the content. What good and bad habits did you take away from your time in the military? Um, let's see. Good habits. Uh, an understanding of the value of order and a value, an understanding of the value of... Um, pushing through limits and understanding in the value of planning, um, hard work, sort of broad life affirming, so to speak, good life affirming, um, best practices is kind of the thing I took away from it. I think bad habits, um, being demanding of others, particularly in the workplace. That's a real bad one. Mm. Um, it's very, very tough because the way in which I learned and I, I've learned the wrong lesson, but the way in which I experienced, how about that's a better word, the way I experienced leadership in my first real job. I mean, I had fast food jobs in high school, like all kids did, or many kids did in the 90s. But um, this is my first like real job. And my experience of leadership was, you know, the Marine Corps way, which is, <laughs> you know, in your face and fucking direct. And that doesn't translate all that well. Um, to the civilian workforce. And that's a lesson I've had to learn very much the hard way. I think other ones would be, you know, the, the diminishing of the feelings of others has been a bit, a bit of a problem, right? Because the whole idea in, in any kind of war fighting force is to, you know, ig uh, ignore anything that becomes any kind of obstacle to progress or to mission accomplishment. But that ends up costing you in the real world because, well, situations are never that easy, you know? Um, they require a degree of empathy. They they good leadership actually requires sympathy, empathy, understanding, hearing, listening. 
And the Marine Corps way of leadership, as best I experienced it, was not a lot of that. It was, here's what the fuck you're going to do. And if that's the end of it, you know, um, that was a problem. That was a problem. All right. Let's go. Luke, do you think body language uh, at the end of the fight influences the judges one way or another, such as raising your hands and celebrating prematurely? I've had off-the-record conversations with judges, and I've never once had them say that was a determinative factor in their judgment. Never once. I tend to think it's not valueless, or I should say worthless. Uh, I, I don't think it's without value. I tend to think that its value is grossly overstated. What is the actual value of like, yay, hands in the air, I win, you know? Um, the judge to that point has almost certainly always got some orientation around it. Remember, they have to make a decision very quickly. Like, they don't have time to adjudicate. And like, what are they saying? Like, oh, you know... Uh, it's, it was a, it was a draw to me, but then this guy raised his hands, and now I have to change my my judgment. I tend to think it's a good thing to do. It's good to set a tone. It's good to be positive. It certainly can't hurt, but in the end, like if you're trying to actually sway the judges, the way to sway the judges is through what happens before the bell sounds. Like once you raise your hands, after that, I don't. I, I just don't believe that it, it 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 has a lot of value. There's a lot of like myths around this kind of thing, and again, I don't think it hurts. You definitely, here's what I would say you definitely don't want. You definitely don't want a situation where the round is ending and you're hanging your head and you're sad and your body language is clearly forlorn. Again, I, I would imagine a good judge, a good judge would be able to be like, eh, I'm going to pay attention to what happened, not that. But like, what about a mediocre judge? What about a bad judge? You know, that kind of body language expression. I think it does more... It's more about preventing something bad than like meaningfully making something good. Uh, but it, again, if you really want to convince the judges, you, you have to do the work before that. All right, let's go back. Yeah, I figured this might come up. All right, uh, Luke, I recently watched Wednesday's edition of the MMA Hour, okay? And was curious to know what you thought about TJ's comments in regards to his shoulder and the criticism that that you talk about me directed at him following UFC 280. Do you think fans who watch the sport need to be more sympathetic to fighters pulling out of fights in order to prevent events like the debacle that took place in UFC 280? Well, let me answer the second part first. Yeah, I do think they need to be more sympathetic. Listen, injuries causing fight cancellations sucks. It sucks for the UFC or whatever, Bellator, whatever. In this case, UFC sucks for the fan. It sucks for the fighter, sucks for their opponent. Like, it's just not good all the way around. And what's kind of funny is coming off of this other fight week between Jake Paul and everything else and, you know, talking to Uriah Hall and whatnot, like every MMA fighter I've talked to that did a boxing camp has said the exact same thing, that it's much easier on their body. Now, they also say other things like boxing's easier than MMA, but it's not. It's definitely not easier. It's, 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 it's you know, they're, you, they're, they're difficult for different reasons, but in terms of the injury load that boxers sustain in training versus the injury loads that MMA fighters sustain in training, I don't think they're comparable. Um, and I think the fact that you don't see boxing fights fall out as easily and as routinely is evidence of this fact. And, you know, 
remember, we're not even getting the true rate of injury pullouts, right? Because how many of these guys are going through in situations where they would not be able to pass a physical if they had to take truth serum and then declare their injuries? How many of them would actually get cleared to fight? You know, I don't know there would be that many, quite candidly. Um, it would be, you would have many more cancellations. Now, how many is debatable, but so like, you know, if we want them to be honest up front, right, and not go through with fights where they're not physically able to perform, we have to create a different system for them. Like, I mean, it sounds it sounds stupid to keep bringing every conversation back to like fighter pay and fighter welfare, but they're all kind of connected. Like, if you have to fight to get paid and you haven't fought in a year and a half, and you have to just suck up, I don't know, some kind of partial ACL tear or whatever it is, whatever it is, some kind of, you know, very bad injury that you can kind of make it through, you know, we're, we're, we're exacerbating it. We have to create a system as best we can, and there will never be any great answer, but the best answer we can come up with such that the pain of having to withdraw from a fight before it's scheduled to happen because you have to take care of your body, to the extent we can reduce the friction there, I think we should. We should make things easier. Oh, hold on just a second. Tuki's about to come in here. One second. Once. Sorry about that. To the extent we can make that as minimally friction uh, or uh, to have as minimal amount of friction as possible, I think we should. I think that is very much in their interest, in the UFC's interest, in our interest, but in particular theirs. And again, I want to say one more time, dude, like the injury load that these guys deal with is I, I, I got to tell you, man, at 43, I'm like, everybody talks about brain trauma in the sport and with very good reason. And it maybe is the most important thing to talk about when we talk about long-term health of these athletes. But I got to tell you, man, it's not like they're doing themselves a favor on every other front. I mean, the amount of knee surgeries and shoulder surgeries and back surgeries and neck surgeries and broken ribs and in the case of Paul Felder, punctured lungs and everything else. And we all talk about how like recuperative they are all are, are, all are. Dude, I'm sorry. Anytime your knee or shoulder gets re like surgically repaired, it's not the same again. You can get it pretty close depending on how good your rehab is and, and whatever else you need it to be, but it's not the same. It's not going to be the same as it was pre-degradation or severe injury. And these guys are like, look at like the, I was, you know, I was, I was watching tape on today. I was watching tape on Chris Weidman, you know, I mean, just absurd amounts of injury, absurd amounts of damage, absurd amounts of just really debilitating shit. And I'll tell you what, man, it wasn't like every time I, you know, I went to the gym at age 35, I felt great, but you know, I was able to sort of manage and whatever injuries there were, they sucked, but you know, they didn't, whatever it was, what it was. Dude, they don't feel the same at 43. They're much worse. Much worse. Much, much, much worse. Like Anderson Silva at 47. How the fuck is he doing that? I do not know. Do not. I truly don't know. Like the amount of orthopedic injuries that we see in the sport and like the long-term consequences of that, there isn't nearly enough attention paid to that. Oh, he got stitched up. He'll be fine. Eh. I mean, he'll be all right, but like... There's going to be a quality of life trade-off. There's going to be, and we just don't think about it as much. Now, as it relates to, um, what was the question again? I was curious to know what you thought about TJ's comments in regards to his shoulder and the criticism that I directed at him 
following UFC 280. Listen, man, I don't even like the, doing this shit. If we, if this question never came up, I'd be all too happy to not talk about it. I don't want the clicks from this, and I know Othello's watching. Othello, we're not going to make a short off of this. We're not going to make an Instagram video of this because I'm not interested in fucking beefing with fighters, especially fighters that I basically like. I don't really agree with the way he handled himself at UFC 280, obviously, but I don't have... I don't have anything against TJ Dillashaw. He's, for the most part, I think it's certainly dealing with me. I think he's always been a pro. Um, and, you know, he's had his transgressions, which we all know. And he, I don't think he handled this situation correctly at all, which was the nature of my criticism. I think what's happening here, and I could be wrong, certainly. I think what's happening here is that um, he might be getting hung up on the nature of the word or the the term that I use, which was that it was borderline fraud i would like to put that aside for the moment and just sort of like make the argument as i best understand it right i'm going to make this as calmly as i can and as earnestly as i can just to reiterate it here what is the basic problem that i have with what happened there the basic problem that i have is that there's one of two interpretations you could go with one of which i think he found disparaging but i i don't really think he should Two interpretations are possible. One, that he knew he was never going to be able to perform well, like he was fully aware of it, and just went in there for a check, and that was that. Now, in my, you can go and back and watch. You can go and watch my post-fight show and some of the tweets I had afterwards. Uh, that was not my initial read. My initial read was not that. In fact, it was actually other people who kind of talked me into it uh, a little bit, um, being like, well, he, the guy has not fought hardly at all. He would need money. But I wouldn't be, I wouldn't agree with that act either, but I would be somewhat understanding of it. I would be like, well, it's not great. I still wouldn't agree. I would still say it's a problem for reasons I'm about to articulate. But I could, I could kind of noodle that one through given what could potentially be, you know, I don't know his financial picture. Um, who, who the hell knows, right? Maybe he just really needs it and hadn't worked in a while and needed a paycheck. Like, that's not great. But, you know, what do you, I mean, it is what it is, right? The other one is that he believed he was physically able to perform. Now, I did see the clip of him mentioning me. I did not see the full interview. Days ago, funnily enough, I did see the one he did with Brett Okamoto. So I have seen the full, uh, I think that's like 30 plus minutes or so. So I'm going to go based off of that. If that doesn't match what he said in the other interview with Ariel, I don't know what to say. I can only go off what I saw. But in the other interpretation, it's that he felt like he could win and wanted to go through with it because despite the injury, um, he felt like he could. I just don't believe this to be a reasonable conclusion. The first time he road tests his arm, he had a theory, right? He had a theory that, okay, I've got this like debilitating injury, but my belief is that I can probably go through with this. And it, what, what does he say in the, in, in the interview with Brett? Like, I fully believe he, could, he, he fully believed he could win. So if you believe that, and then the road test fails, you have some questions to ask yourself. But more importantly, the road test failed immediately. Immediately. The first time he posted on his arm... It came out, rides out the round, they pop it back in. Okay, that's one thing. It's better than the Pico situation, certainly. Then he goes back out there, minute or two. Uh, I think it was like a, uh, either a gator roll or something else Aljamain did, locking up off the bicep grip. I'd have to go and review the tape. It comes out again. The first time he road tested his arm in a real way, 
immediately it didn't work. Immediately. Immediately. The theory he had, or anyway, the hypothesis he had about why this was worth it, that idea failed immediately. Failed immediately. With, with virtually no resistance, it failed. Right? What I ask from athletes is, when he makes a point about the nature of the injuries and how many he's had and like how many times he's fought through. Listen, if he wants credit for toughness, I'll give it to him 10 times out of 10. If he wants credit for his ability, I'll give it to him 10 times out of 10. If he wants credit for his fight IQ, I will give it to him 10 times out of 10. Dude, I think highly of him. I think highly of him. But I majorly disagree with the reasoning that went into this. And I know this is where, to me, it all kind of falls apart beyond that, which is like he, he couldn't hit mitts. Um, and that he believed he could do enough in the grappling, but not so much in the striking. And it's like, okay, but that's what you told us. So that's what he told Brett anyway. And then in the fight, it was actually in the grappling immediately where it all came apart. I don't know what was happening in training where his partners consciously or subconsciously taking it easy on him. I mean, he looked to be in phenomenal shape for whatever it's worth. Again, dude, the guy grinds. Can't say he doesn't grind. He grinds. But if you don't have basic functionality of whatever limb or appendage to the point where you cannot do adequate warmups such as hitting mitts and to the point where the first order of resistance causes a I won't call that a catastrophic injury but a, a a very serious one immediately the calculation the rationality employed to then justify that call is clearly wrong it is clearly wrong right and this is, to me, like the part that gets lost. I, I can certainly appreciate that the line between what constitutes functionality and what doesn't is very hard to tell sometimes. I don't, I don't make these out to be easy calls or calls that I can make or I'm justified to make or that people should get on the phone and ask me what my opinion is. These are, these are questions for medical professionals, for the athletic commission, for the promotion, and for the fighter themselves. Right? That's who is really this is about. But there's one more group that I think you can't really look past here, and this is really what the crux of my criticism is. It's the consumer. Dude, this was like they sold this to somebody. If you if the consumer had full knowledge of the nature of his injury, are they going to pay for that? No, and like I don't know how much 75 is to one person versus another, but I'm not going to say that it's just an insignificant amount of money, especially in an age when like combat sports is expensive to be a fan, super expensive to be a fan. There's pay-per-views all the time especially in the age of streaming, there's like subscription this, pay-per-view that. Like you're selling them a product. They, they are owed a measure of not full transparency. I understand that there's some that has to be kept. And again, you know, for example, he popped his, uh, either his knee or his ankle in the Corey Sanhagen fight, but he was able to hang on. He was still physically able to perform. That's probably not medically advisable in the way that he did it. But to me, it's like, what are you supposed to say? It happened in the middle of a fight. He was able to gut through. He used veteran savvy to control a very difficult opponent. Like, all the credit to him. You know, I don't, okay, that, that, that's, just, that's just the fight game. But if you have knowledge of injury this severe, where it's falling out, I think, two or three times a week, and it comes out, by the way, in grappling scenarios, in training, as he discussed in the Brett Okamoto video, and then it comes out first time, the first time that the arm touches the ground to post, um, whatever calculations were made about how justifiable this are were clearly not correct. 
they were clearly not correct. And I just don't think it's fair to the consumer who is paying for this, in particular on top of whatever subscription service they may have. That, that's not that's not the trade that the consumer is making, right? And I, I just don't think we can look past um, or ignore the consideration of the consumer in this equation. If this was just a regular old UFC fight or something else, again, all of these things, there's never one like tipping point where it's like that thing sends this argument over the edge. Well, he couldn't hit mitts. Well, that by itself wouldn't be necessarily limiting. And it popped out sometimes in camp. Well, not, I mean, that's really bad. But that by itself, you could imagine a scenario where it's not. But accumulatively, in conjunction with the fact that this was on pay-per-view, I do not believe that to be fair to the promotion, right? The UFC, what's the first thing Dana White said? And, you know, certainly I've had my disagreements with Dana and the UFC at times. What's the first thing he said? Like, that should have been something that, that would, was disclosed to us. He's right. He's right. And you can't really tell me that that choice he made was fair. Forget about the division for a second. It was fair to the consumer. This is the nature of my criticism. If that is unfair, um, then I don't know what else to say because I, I think that that's quite right. Um, you know, some of the initial terminology I used to describe the situation is probably a little harsh. Maybe I would have, you know, re done it a little bit differently. Hindsight being 2020, because I, I don't enjoy hurting his feelings. I don't enjoy pissing him off. I don't enjoy getting sideways with the guy. I actually really respect. But the reality is what the reality is. That was not sound judgment to think that that was a winnable affair. And then to do that in a contest where the consumer was asked to pay on top of any subscription fee, a, a price for admission. I don't, I don't think that's fair. I don't think you can sell that to the consumer um, in an honest way. So I understand that. I think the last thing I'd say is just the reality is like these guys live in a world where they, he, when he says like, if you've never fought, you don't understand the reality of injuries and what these guys have to deal with. He's right. I don't, I don't, I don't understand that. I really don't. But the argument about what the fighter sees as reasonable for themselves. I mean, this is why the sport is regulated by the government is because how important is the fighter voice in the broader conversation about what's acceptable? What should the rules be and everything else? Like how important is the fighter conversation? Massively important. Like TJ's perspective on this issue is massively important. It's massively central to everything. But it is not the only voice. It is not the only voice. The medical profession has something to say about this. The government protecting their interests has something to say about this. The media, and you can like or dislike them, but they have something to say about this. The consumer has a voice. In this. By the way, I didn't get refunded for this. That came out of my pocket. I'm a consumer too. All of these voices should shape the reasoning around this. And, you know, I, I've heard his, um, I've heard his, um, you know, his, it's not legal testimony, but I've heard him say what, you know, what, that, that he'd fought Cody Garbrandt and uh, with other shoulder injuries. Yeah, dude, I, I bet he did. I bet he did, dude. We all saw what happened in the San Hagen fight. Dude, TJ Dillashaw is tough as fucking nails. Nails, bro. Nails. He's tough in a sport where everyone's tough. Like, he's tough among them. I don't take that away from him. I don't. But I don't think that kind of judgment, because the fighter decides that by concealing injuries from medical professionals, um, like, the, ultimately, what their judgment is, is the final say. I don't, I don't think that. I think we should be very deferential to fighters and their interests and their wants and desires and needs. Very deferential. But we should not be completely deferential. And there's a space there. And in that space, we should be able to say, if you are this physically unable to compete, much less against the champion of the division, 
I understand that the consequences can be severe. I don't have a great answer for that. But I still, no matter what, I do not believe that is fair to the consumer or the media. Or not the media, what am I saying? To the consumer or, fuck the media. Uh, to the consumer or to the promotion, and frankly to the sport itself, to undertake a task that difficult with that severe an injury to say nothing of the long-term consequences. So I'm sure he's got a great surgeon. I hope he comes. Look, listen, nothing would make me happier. And I truly mean this. Nothing would make me happier than if he gets healthy, comes back, and just stomps on people. It'd be great. (laughs) I don't have anything against that. But you got to be at a bare minimum. You have to have, and I can't believe I have to say this in certain ways, you have to have basic functionality of limbs, appendages, and everything else. And he didn't. And if you're going to take that gamble to go and t- under, undertake those that difficult task, if you want credit for the toughness, 100% I'm going to give it. For, for his overall fight IQ and his abilities, 100% I will give it. But if you take that gamble, which was almost never going to go any other way than what it did, and it fails, you do not get to be free of criticism. It doesn't work that way. You undertook this knowing, well, he thought the chances were high, but in reality, the chances were super slim. One in a gazillion. It And it failed the first, it failed instantly. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know how anyone can think that that's okay. I, I, I understand it to the best I can. But I'm sorry, I just cannot support it, and I don't, and I don't think it's appropriate. I, I think it's irresponsible to his long-term health and to all the other parties I've mentioned before. I think he's a good guy. I really do. I think he's made some mistakes in his career like many people have. Um, I defended him more than most when he got sideways with USADA. I did not think two years was an appropriate punishment at all. I thought it really derailed his career. I didn't like any of that. I don't dislike him at all, but I don't think that those actions were in any way at UFC 280 responsible to the parties that should have been responsible to. And I hope that, you know, you guys decide if I'm right or wrong. But I, I, I hope that that's understandable. All right. My mom discouraged me from becoming a teacher because of her expertise as a teacher, but I became one anyway. Will you discourage your daughter from any professions based on their, uh, what you've experienced? Listen, here's all I want for my daughter. Ready? I want her to be happy and healthy. And whatever else happens is whatever else happens. I would certainly dissuade her from combat sports. I think it's not a great place for women, candidly. There's a lot of people who have um, um, worldviews that they have tied up in what they think is reclaiming masculinity when, in fact, it's just they just hate women and don't realize it. Um so I would very much discourage her from combat sports. But even then, if she really wanted to get into it for in any level or whatever, and she liked it and she was good at it, um, you know, is, if she's happy and healthy, then that's really all I care about. Ooh, good question. Look, what are some good books about drugs and sport or anti-doping more broadly? I'm fascinated by your takes on this topic. Sorry if you've answered this one before. I'll do this very quickly. Let me pull this one up. By the way, did you see that Jeff Bezos and Jay-Z might buy <laughs> the Washington Commanders? It's like, I don't really wouldn't love for another for a monopolist to buy the Commanders. But like, dude, the only one worse than Snyder would be what? Like Satan? Like what would be worse than him? Uh, let's see. Here's a good one. Here we go. 
This is the best one I can recommend to you. The Anti-Doping Crisis in Sport, Causes, Consequences, Solution, first edition. You can get it on Kindle for, Jesus, for $44, Christ almighty. Uh, but it's by two guys, Paul DeMio and Werner Muller, um, who I think is Danish. Paul DeMio is Scottish. Uh, this is the best book I can give you. You'll see that they have slightly, well, they have very different views from me. Um, you can get it on Amazon right there. They have different views from me, but this is a scholarly setup of like, where does anti-doping come from? Where did it come from? What what are the major historical moments where it grew? And what were the various events or you know, whatever moments is to, to borrow the word again, where it changed, developed, grew, in power or prestige or whatever. How did it get to this point? What are all the various moments? What are all the various moments? And it outlines them. And then once you have a historical understanding, it goes through all the problems with them, right? Is it actually effective? Um, does it do what it says it's gonna do? Other conflicts of interest between governing bodies, you name it. And then at the end of that book, they propose solutions because what they ultimately, they're a little bit different than me where I, I'm not like, again, I don't think everyone in drugs should take, everyone in sports should take drugs, but like if people want to be in sports and take drugs, I, for the most part, don't care. Um, they're a little bit less than that, but what they do is they want to set up systems that they, I think, are more humane than anti-doping, which allows, excuse me, which allows for some drug use. And then on the other side, um, how can anti-doping be improved in a way where it still has some teeth but it's still humane. That's sort of what they get. That, that's what the general gist is there. Uh, let's see. Are you ever going to go back on JRE? I listened to your, back to your old episode from time to time and think you and Joe had a good chemistry. I would love to. Uh, not up to me. <laughs> not up to me. I don't get to make that call. Only he gets to make that call. So um, we used to text a little bit more. We haven't texted in a while. You know... I don't know what to attribute that to, you know, Joe's obviously, I mean, you know, does he need to text me? Like, obviously, no, he's got a million other fucking people in his life that he, I'm sure uh, rightfully cares much more about, but uh, yeah, it's not, it's not up to me. It's really, really not up to me. So if Joe's watching Joe, I'd love to, but you know, that's a question for him, not me. Um, it was a political question, which I, some people, well, I don't really know everyone know what to do with these because some people love them and some people fucking hate them. So I'll keep this one as brief as I can. What do you think Russia will look like after the Ukrainian war failed state, Chinese client state, perhaps the end of times love to hear your thoughts. Well, if there's nuclear Armageddon, it hardly matters because they won't be the only wasteland, <laughs> right? So there's that. Um, I read this book. I've shown this to you before. I finished it. This came out prior to the invasion of Ukraine. So this, I think this book was written. When was it written? I got a couple spots here saved. Uh, 2021. 2021, this book was written. And essentially the argument is that uh, Russia is in deep shit. Super deep shit. And they're in deep shit by virtue of climate change. Now, I realize that there's some people in the MMA community who still don't even believe in that. I don't know what, I don't know what to say to folks like that. But to the extent you are interested in facts, um, he basically makes an argument that it won't be a complete loss for Russia, that as the planet warms, and we're talking 
post 2050 here, or I should say by 2050, but um, mostly after that. But what will happen is obviously it will, two, two things will happen that will be beneficial to Russia. One, as the polar ice caps melt, it will open a 365 in terms of the amount of days of the year that people could sail through the uh, sort of the North uh, pole area uh, in terms of opening shipping lanes, that will be a beneficial thing to them. And also it will push agricultural yields up in the South of Russia by virtue of how the climate moves, but in every other way, it's going to absolutely fuck them. And um, you know, Beyond what's going to happen with with this, I really don't know what to say about this. I don't really know how we get out of this mess. It, it is, I try not I try not to pay attention to it as best I can because it's just so consistently disconcerting. But the long term prognosis for Russia, whatever happens with Ukraine, is poor. It's very poor. Um, the U.S. has become a a, a power player in um, in the energy world by virtue of uh, a series of basically the shale oil revolution. So now they now have much more access to oil that was otherwise, you know, a pipe dream quite literally to get. Um, and it has vastly changed. I mean, there are obviously still some issues between, you know, Germany and Russia and the rest of Europe and Russia in terms of liquid natural gas and other things like that. But in general, the long-term prognosis for them is uh, they're, they're fucked. And so what I would say is that, you know, Obviously, they're going to, well, even China and India distance themselves a little bit from uh, Russia, but I tend to think it will just sort of reorder global politics that way. But, you know, here's another question to sort of consider, which is like, what happens if Putin dies for whatever reason? By the way, do you see all the body language experts are like, oh, he must be quite ill. He had a visibly weird blah, blah, blah on camera. It's like, has, has any of that proved true? Uh, okay. Let's see. Thoughts on Elon officially getting Twitter. Do you think left-wing media outlets and politicians are overreacting? I have a real wait-and-see approach. Like, I got to tell you, I don't want to pay eight bucks for Twitter, but uh, Twitter is valuable for me for the most part. Um, and it's not even that I care about the check. Although, I, I, candidly, I'll tell you, I care about it a little bit. Why? I have found that the blue check mark if you're reaching out to someone on twitter or you're trying to get noticed for whatever reason it's just much more helpful it's just much more helpful it, it is so there ha there is a professional benefit to that that i would like to preserve but i you know do i find the idea of paying eight bucks to use twitter basically for that stupid as shit of course i do um and i don't want to do it so i'm just i'm I've got to wait and see. A Everyone's got proclamations about the, how they know this is going to go with Elon. And of course, the major criticism now is that like the people, there's like a, there's like a small minority of users that actually power the vast majority of Twitter, right? Like, you know, very popular celebrities, very popular politicians or whatever. And that those folks should not be paying a charge of eight bucks, but in fact that they should be paid to be there because really what Twitter is, is the community that's been created by virtue of the user base and how it cuts across so many different lines. It's, it's like the choice, like the de facto choice for sports journalists, sports institutions, political figures, political institutions, you name it. It's got like, it has, it has a very important importance. And like, also like, where would you go to discuss events real time? Would you go to Instagram? Would you go to TikTok? I mean, you can do that, but they're not as uniquely situated as, as, as well as Twitter is. Twitter is actually quite beneficial. Um, and so, you know, I, what, 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 what's, what's it all going to mean? Let's see. Let's see. I do think there's a lot of hysterics. And I do think that um, there's a lot of reason for 
some concern anyway, but we don't, we don't really know what's going to happen here. And like, I don't see a very clear Twitter alternative. Like truth social is for one side of the aisle. I'm not really interested in, you know, swimming in those waters, but also it's like, what are you going to do? You're going to set up your own sub stack. I don't, I don't want to set up my own sub stack. I don't, I don't want to do that. I've been on Twitter for a long time. I would just like to use that if I could. So I, my answer is to the question, let's see, let's see how it goes. Let's see if the proclamations from critics that this will ruin the service. Let's see if that's true. If it's true, there's nothing I can do to stop it. Uh, conversely, if it's all a bunch of nonsense and it was totally overblown and it turns out that like Elon was very right, that whatever figure he ends up charging was, and I, you already pay $5 for Twitter blue, not for the verification, but for Twitter blue. And that's for, important for me because I can also upload videos up to 10 minutes, which is actually the whole reason why I got it. The, 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 the thing about like not seeing ads, you still see fucking ads. It's not worthless or not helpful for that. But like, uh, if people stick around and people just end up living with it, like I don't want to pay for that shit, but Twitter's valuable for me and I don't know who's right in this debate. And everyone who says they do, says, says they know, uh, I'm skeptical of those motherfuckers. Uh, good question here. I get this one all the time. Why doesn't BC also have a live chat? It ain't me stopping him. Or why doesn't he feature on yours like for 20 or 30 minutes once a month? Because it's my live chat. Uh, I could only imagine the absolute filth of questions we'd ask him. <laughs> yeah, fair point. I mean, listen, I fully support him this. BC and I had a conversation about this, not in Arizona, but the last time we were in studio. And he was like, what do you think about it? I'm like, dude, you should do it. You should do it. I think he wants to do it on the MK channel. And for some reason, it just hasn't moved forward. I don't have a good answer for why. But like, he could always just do what I do, which is on my personal channel. He can just make his own. You know, there's nothing stopping him in that sense. And I fully support it. I think he should. He actually had, I mean, this is funny. Like, BC and I are very different people, but in certain ways, we're actually very much the same, which is uh, the way when I first started working at MMA Fighting, one of the first things I wanted to do was a live chat. They had a tool called, like, Scribble or Scribbit, some kind of name. And this was, like, 2011 or something. Uh, maybe even 2010, something like that. Something like that. Very early, like, right when I first got over there. Remember, they remember uh, SB Nation at the time bought them from AOL. AOL was kicking them to the curb, and SB Nation bought them and brought everyone over. And um, so I started out doing that. It turns out BC told me this when we were talking about him getting a live chat, which I, again, I fully support. What he told me was uh, he started out at ESPN, not on that exact same service, but doing the exact same things with fans. Like, live chat questions he loves to do the exact same thing i just turned this into a visual medium however long ago 10 10 years ago at this point right um so yeah like in that way we both i think enjoy this kind of thing he'd be good for it but you know i i, I like having my own thing and i think he should have his own thing we do mk together and that'll be what it'll be so you guys want him to do a live chat Number one, he's got my thumbs up and seal of approval. Number two, send him a note. Send him a note. The more of those you send, like, dude, if you send him a note, he's going to send that to the team, to the producers and to the higher ups. So if you really want him to have one, send a note. It'll work. I'm telling you, it'll work. Okay, more questions about TJ. I'm going to skip those. I've already said what I had to say on that. Um, let's, oh, good question here. Let's see. Here we go. Uh, Luke, on a scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you about Izzy versus Alex Pereira? 
what's the chances of Izzy catching Alex off guard and going for a takedown? He'd never see it coming. Dude, I'm so glad. So I rewatched, I'm doing tape study on this fight. I rewatched both of those fights today. It's funny how well Izzy did. I was surprised that he lost the first one. I kind of thought that I'd have, I have, I didn't watch it with sound. And so I wonder how much that would change it. But, and you guys know I'm, I am pro, pro Izzy in many ways. Um, I love this fight. Scale of one to 10, I'll say nine and a half. Maybe, maybe nine, nine, but high, very high. This is in many ways the toughest challenge of Izzy's career. And Pereira, if he's going to strike it, it, right now is the moment. It's got a, uh, a compelling uh, backstory. It's got, you know, an interesting clash of styles given the stand-up and like what could happen with the ground. You're asking, could he catch him off, off, off surprise? You know what? You know what would be interesting is if he catches a kick and then runs it down, you know, and runs it down. And so um, Pereira falls and he gets on top and you see some actual ground and pound where he's not really going for takedowns, but he'll take a takedown if you give him one kind of a thing. And then he uses that to just get free offense. I wonder if there might, is he's full of tricks, man. He's full of tricks and he's always thinking ahead. I wonder, and the dude, you know, Pereira's power and his left hook is unbelievable. I was looking at some other footage from him from Glory and whatnot. Fucking A, man. He is just dynamite with that thing. And not just that. There's other weapons he has, too, that are, that are great. But obviously, that one's just tremendous. Um, and he's durable, and he's tough, and he's experienced. Like, dude, this fight rocks. Rocks. And, you know, I think it's a good moment for the division where, let's, let's say you're pro Izzy. If he goes in there and wins, hey, man, like that's uh, – you don't think the fight's going to be bad no matter what. It would be shocking for the fight to be bad, right? Like I'm trying to imagine a scenario where it happened. You could think of a couple, but they don't seem like the likeliest ones. The likeliest ones seem like it could be great. And beyond that, what I would say is um, if you're Izzy and he wins, I think coming off the fan bases like revulsion, if you give them an exciting fight and you beat someone like this, you could get them right back in your palm. Conversely, if you're pro Pereira, you go in there and you take out a guy who I think after the last fight with Cannoneer, people are a little bit soured on. I think that's probably a fair thing to say. You can get all of those fans to follow you. Now, how long would Pereira reign? I don't know. That's a little harder to say because it's like, would you really pick Pereira over Whitaker? I wouldn't. You know, <laughs> I wouldn't. I would pick. I mean, that's a tough fight, too. Like, there's no easy fights, but. I'm not, I'm not picking him over Whitaker. I'm just not, you know. So um, so I don't know how long he reigns, but at a bare minimum, what an accomplishment to be a double champ in glory and then become a UFC champ, you know, even though, yeah, he got an expedited timeline with how fast he was able to get up the ranks and whatnot. Dude, there's, it's almost, again, I'm jinxing it by saying this, there are certainly ways that any fight could end up bad or boring or shitty or whatever. It just seems like there's enough conditions for this one where we should be getting a pretty good outcome in the end. Maybe even a great one. Let's see. Uh, let's see, a question on Kyrie here. Luke, uh, thoughts on NBA totally fumbling the Kyrie situation. Did they? I mean, what the fuck are they supposed to do with him? Uh, Ariel recently said on his show that when stuff is said about Jews, no one cares. Yeah, he's right about that, dude. Anti-Semitism is alive and well, unfortunately. Feels like that's alarmingly accurate. Also surprised that, uh, given that Adam Silver is Jewish. Well, Adam Silver put out a statement today saying he's going to meet with him. But it's like, this is what I mean. Like, it, it, 
to me, the anti-Semitism thing of Kyrie is just nauseating and awful. But like in the broader perspective, the guy is a mess, right? <laughs> like, you know, I know people thought he was like standing up for justice when he wasn't getting his vaccine. But in the end, the risks that he uh, that he said would prohibit him, fuck the team big time. I mean, big time um, where they weren't able to make use of that team that they had put together of course that then that has fallen apart and then replace it with ben simmons and that really hasn't gotten off and now he's doing this bullshit where you know he's just watching fucking jack off documentaries on amazon being like this is fucking history like oh my god dude you went to duke at least for a year you had two semesters there this is the best duke could do for you like duke's a fucking elite academic institution like oh my god man really really and it's like, I don't even think he's repeating the shit because he's hateful. I think he's just repeating the shit because he's fucking ignorant, man. Like, just woefully, woefully. He can ball, man. He can ball his ass off. I don't know what they're supposed to do. If the, again, if this was combat sports, people wouldn't say shit. They would just be like, yeah. I mean, dude, like, if you can't police Sean Strickland, and again, you might think that's not the media's role. Fine. Think what you want. Uh but if you can't police that, you can't. You you gonna police a guy for watching a, a a documentary? I mean, obviously, there's more to it than that. But you know what I mean? Like you, he would, he would. This would be no. This would be a non-story. This would be a non-story. So I don't really know what the Nets. And by the way, the Nets have all the shit, and then they fire Steve Nash, who, by the way, should have been fired. But it's like, dude, the, everything that just surrounds this guy, it's just a fucking mess, man. Just a mess. Like if you're the Nets, you're like fuck me dude like if you're the nets front office you're like what <laughs> what do we have to do to a get this guy on the court and be in the history of the experience with him and then b for him to not say stupid fucking shit off the court like what do we have to do what do we have to do uh and beats the shit out of me they might release him someone's gonna pick him up he's too good He's too good. He's too, he's, you know, whatever else you want to say about him. That dude is an excellent, excellent basketball player. The guy's handles are just next level, man. So someone's going to pick him up. Like, are you going to just going to banish him from the league? I doubt that. I really, 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 really doubt that. They're going to figure out some kind of way to either release him and another team picks him up. Like even in the NFL, like someone beats their wife, they release him. They put him on, you know, waivers or whatever. And someone picks him up off that. And then they have this reformation process and on it goes like, Dude, if you can if you can ball, there's you can get away with a lot, you know. Uh, let's see. Ooh, thoughts on Anthony Smith versus Jamal Hill? Fucking love that. Love that. That's a tough fight for either guy. I think Jamal Hill on the ground would get would be in trouble against Anthony Smith. But, dude, Jamal Hill's boxing and his accuracy and his speed and his power on the feet. Not like Smith's some kind of chump on the feet. He's good, too. But I would give the edge to Hall, uh, to, excuse me, to Hill there. And then on the ground, I would give a massive edge to Anthony Smith. But, you know, can you get it there? Blah, blah, blah. Like, love that. Love that. Uh, let's see. What do you think? Here, I'll pull this one up there. Whoops. What do you think of the Bellator versus Ryzen card? Good for MMA in regard to the future of cross promotion? I mean, yes and no. Yes and no. I mean, if you look at the card, man, 
it's a good card. It's like Bellator champions or high level Bellator guys or like celebrated Bellator figures at a bare minimum versus like their better names, their bigger names, and then their champions and then one cha- one Korean champion from I think Road. It's a solid card. It's a solid card. I think the question you have to ask yourself is if you're a, if I cannot speak for the Japanese audiences, I have no idea about their preferences. But for the North American audience, are these the fights that the vast majority of North American MMA fans for Bellator fighters, is this the one that they wanted to see them in? Uh, I doubt that. I doubt that. That doesn't mean the card doesn't have quality. Again, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna knock the quality of the card. It's good. It's really good. It's like those are all those fights are solid. And again, the AJ, I think it's AJ McKee versus Roberto Satoshi. Dude, that fight has got bananas. I mean, that's just an amazing fight. I cannot wait to see that one. And there's other good ones beyond that, but um, you know, the turn to Japan for Bellator, it's a good one. It's a helpful one. But if we're just being, if we're just reading what the market preferences are, it seems like the bigger crossover would be Bellator 1, Bellator PFL, PFL 1. The big three in that way. Cage Warriors 2, potentially, although maybe not exactly the right fit. But you get what I'm saying? Like, the big ones that you would want to see make fights would be Bellator, PFL, and one. It's not like you can't do other permutations and get good cards. I think you can. I think you have one. But I don't know how much market demand there is for that. I think we're going to have to see. Um, my hunch is it wouldn't be nearly as much as if you had a Bellator versus PFL or or Bellator versus one or something. I think if you had that, you know, there'd be all kinds of like intrigue. And really, we've talked about it before, like with the UFC having so much of the market force of like, the available high-level talent, with the the satellite organizations, the ones I just mentioned, them getting together to maximize star power and maximize what they have would be great to see. The only problem is, um, you know, there just doesn't appear to be either interest or opportunity to make those fights i don't i don't know i don't know why we can't make them but we we it, it, blame who you want to blame you want to blame scott coker you want to blame don davis you want to blame chachi city blame who you want to blame but um i think that's that's the interesting piece of the puzzle that we haven't seen yet that's the part that i want to like that i want to take a look at so um great card great card but i don't know how much the american or canadian or whatever mma fan is truly invested in that. All right. I said I go to 407. It's 408. Let's see if you guys want. Now it's time for the paid questions. Uh, you don't have to. If you want to, that's great. If not, don't worry about it. But there you have it. I appreciate you watching just the same. All right. Let me make sure I don't have a frantic text from a fellow here. All right. Let's see. All right. From Kathleen, uh, are there similarities to Nick Rod- Rodriguez Rodriguez in grappling and Jake Paul? Someone with limited skills but really good at a few important things. No. No, 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 no. That allows him to beat much more experienced opponents. Uh, Anderson is not more experienced as a boxer. So that's the first thing I would say. Second of all, Nick Rodriguez, I think as like a blue belt, was housing black belts. Like, in other words, in 
in that field of choice, he was the newcomer. And then in that field, as the newcomer, he's beating all the in-prime, not all of them, but many of the in-prime experienced very best guys in his weight class. The equivalent would be if Jake Paul was fighting, you know, I don't know, 175, which you don't think he can make, but let's just say he can make 175. So he's fighting light heavyweight for boxing. The equivalent would be if he went in there and was good at a couple things and then beating Bivol. <laughs> Better be a, right? That's, that would be the equivalent. No, 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 no. That is not at all. And like, dude, I'll, I'll say this about Jake. You know, I, 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 the fans don't want to give him respect because they hate his guts. Fine. Like, you know, I'm not asking you to like him. This was the first performance I saw from him where I was like, okay, like he's clearly getting better. He's clearly like, he's got something going. Um, I think a lot of folks thought Anderson was going to go in there and just work him over. And, you know, you can think Anderson won. I don't think you can find five rounds for him, but uh, he has a good thing going, taking people post prime who are not even boxers but have big names in some combat sports experience and then boxing them and that's not easy to do either but that's not even remotely the same as what nick rodriguez had done no 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 no. Mm -mm. what did you actually think about uriah hall saying <laughs> he doesn't like you nor bc i thought it was fucking hilarious how do you navigate interviewing someone who doesn't like you i don't give a fuck dude i really don't like i'm not First of all, I'll give going back to the TJ thing. I'll say one thing in his defense that like I really appreciate, which is that I understand what he's mad about. Let me tell you what the vast majority of my experience is. Overwhelming. The overwhelming majority of times you hear an MMA fighter say something that they're angry about me. When I go to their manager or even I go to them and I ask them what it is, they can't tell me. That's not a joke. That's real. There's been like two occasions this one and maybe another maybe three actually total where they were actually able to pinpoint what they were pissed off about overwhelmingly and i cannot be more serious about this overwhelmingly they don't tell me he didn't tell me i have no fucking idea what he's mad about maybe it's one thing maybe it's many things maybe it's like a small thing i don't know i don't know but i don't even know what it is and I'm trying to go back through my, like, Uriah Hall coverage. Has it been unfair? I really don't think it has been. But more to the point, like, dude, I don't – I want to have as many good relationships with fighters and camps as I can have, knowing full well that in the course of doing this job, there will be difficulties with that. There will be friction, like the other situation aforementioned. It's going to happen. I don't like it. I don't, I don't wish for it, but it is an inevitability. So I don't walk into these things expecting these guys to like me or expecting them or BC. But here's what he did. He told the camera he didn't like us, which is fucking funny. It was actually kind of, I was like literally laughing on the inside. I was like, oh my God, this is fucking hilarious. But the other point is, I'll give Uriah credit. He did the interview. He did the interview. That's all I need. I don't need him to like me. But if he's going to sit down, do the interview like a professional, he did. Two thumbs up. He doesn't like me. He doesn't like me. I, I like, if you think you can get through this business, let me just, if for, for aspiring folks out there, if you think you can get through this business saying what you actually think and not having to deal with situations like Uriah Hall telling you on camera he doesn't like you or your co-host Brian Campbell, whoever, or 
a situation like I'm dealing with this one or the, the John Jones thing is perfect. You think he's ever fucking told me what he's mad about? His manager's ever told me what he's mad about? Never once. Never once. It's not possible to get through this industry saying how you feel, even when you're right, without blowback. It's not possible. So if you don't, if you want fighters to like you all the time, you, you know, you're going to have to be relentlessly positive about it. And if you don't want to be relentlessly positive, then pull up your pants, dust yourself off, and realize they don't have to like you. But as a pro, he did the interview. Sweet. Thanks, dude. Good luck on your fight. I don't take it personally. I don't give a shit. If with the, the, the biggest mistake I've made with a fighter was when I, I've been over it a million times. I had someone misquote and mistranslate, uh, or not mistranslate, but mistranscribe, um, excuse me, an interview I did with uh, Brian Stan, and I put it out, and it was super fucked up, and it was really irresponsible, and I really got it wrong. I apologized privately to him. I apologized publicly on multiple occasions about it. I wanted the, the world to know that I thought I got it wrong. Like, I'm not above it, man. Like, I'm going to make mistakes. It's going to happen. But it was clear what, it, uh, what I had done in that situation. But if they're not going to even tell me what the situation is, what the fuck am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that? What am I supposed to do with that? There's nothing to be done. You know, you try your best up front to get it right. If they come to you and they specifically articulate the problem, you, you should reflect on that. Uh, and then from there, you can decide. But if they don't even tell you what the problem is, well, you know, okay, have a nice day. Who wants Chinese tonight? Like, that's how much shit I give, you know? And I, I want to be clear about this. It's not like I don't care about Uriah Hall's feelings or his career, but he had an opportunity to say what he wanted to say. We didn't bust his balls for it. He did the interview. We were cool during the interview. He was cool during the interview. Okay. Well, you know, would it be better if he didn't feel that way? Yeah, of course. But like, that's not the real world. The real world is people get bitter at fucking media. So it's, dude, it's, uh, it's, it's, let me, let me show this. Dude, this is a contact sport. You want to be in combat sports media, it's a contact sport. You've got to be prepared to take some contact. He gave us the interview. That's all I really cared about, you know? So, I, I would, if I have, listen, and if I have the opportunity to, if he does another one of these cards and I do another one of these cards and I have the opportunity to ask him what the problem is, I will do so. I will do so. I would love to know what the issue is, but I'm just going to tell you what my overwhelming experience has been, which is they can't, they usually, the vast majority of the time, they don't even know, or they can't tell you. How do you want me to interpret that? Colby Covington, the modern equivalent to Josh Koscheck. Can you compare these two and also give your pick on who would win prime versus prime? Koscheck was a bit more of a knockout threat. He had the knockout over, uh, who was it, Yoshiyuki Yoshida, right, on the fight for the troops card, memory serves. Um, so he's a little bit more of a knockout threat. He was also a Division I national champion. Um, but there are some equivalencies. Him and Fitch sort of, he's more Fitch than he is Koscheck, uh, candidly. Although Koscheck got the two title shots, Fitch got the one. So he's got a little bit of both there. But Koscheck was, was a very good wrestler, not a big submission threat, although, you know, on occasion things can happen. A uh, bit of a wrestle boxer type, whereas 
uh, Fitch was a wrestle boxer type, but a little bit more submission savvy, a little bit more of a grinder, that kind of a thing. Colby's got a little bit of both, a little bit more of the positional on the ground savvy of Fitch, um, the dislikability of Koscheck, but not so much the sort of athletic striking as rudimentary as it might have been by modern standards um, as uh, as Koscheck. He doesn't have, quite have that. Luke, how many stories do you have in the vault that would be shocking to the public? But they are unfortunately off the record. Boy, if these walls could talk, I'd blow your fucking mind. I'd blow your fucking mind. Truly, I mean that. The best stories are all off the record. The very best ones. And also, the problem with them is no one wants to confirm them or you can't quite get enough evidence to prove them. So people will swear up and down something is true, and you might hear it from two sources, and then, like, how do you prove it? It's almost, like, very difficult to do. Um, but, yeah, like, what the public knows about MMA and then what actually happens in MMA, like, the gap is wide. It's wide. Again, uh, I've kind of been over this a little bit. I don't really want to go over it again. I appreciate Preston. Preston, yeah. The donation. Thank you. I hope the other answer suffices. If it doesn't, you can email me, LukeThomasNews at uh, gmail.com. Someone says, uh, Christopher Harris says, Jake Paul has improved a lot in three and a half years. Lay out a path to prove he's a real boxer and move on from MMA. Could he compete with top 25 cruiserweights? No, I don't think he could. You know, what's kind of funny is, uh, what? here's something I've noticed. If I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. And I might be. I might be. I think he performed well enough against Anderson such that I wonder if there is the same amount of interest in him fighting Nate as there was before the fight. Like, here's something I've detected. I'm not sure how widespread it is. I have noticed some fans saying, and I don't think they're necessarily wrong, that if Jake can beat Anderson, why couldn't he beat Nate? Now, Nate is more in his prime relative to Anderson in his prime, but like, Anderson kind of had this feel as the final boss and he was able to drop him too. Like, why wouldn't he be able to do that to Nate? My counter to that would be like, where did you see Jake struggle the most against Anderson? I would argue inside fighting. I thought the uppercuts were eating Jake alive and Nate is very good there. Now, at least in MMA, we have to see how it translates into boxing, but he's very good there. And so you could at least see a situation where Nate would like maybe lose some rounds, but then rough him up on the inside, drop him, hurt him to the body, whatever. You could see that. You could really see that. But I have noticed that like the appetite for Jake versus Nate has, is not quite as big as I thought it was on fight night. Um, obviously, Nate's a huge star. And I think if they promoted that one, it might do well. It's hard to say right now. But... Um, what he may end up doing to answer this question, what he may end up doing is um, finding out that the appetite for him fighting MMA fighters has waned and that he actually does have to go fight boxers. And I don't know how that one goes. I don't know how much better he can get to like compete with a top 25 cruiserweight. He has certainly made strides. He's training with some of the best trainers in the world. And he's a 25-year-old guy devoted to this and nothing else but this. It, it is working. He has clearly gotten better. 
but you know, how do you compete with someone who might have been doing this since he was like 10 uh, and is equally as athletic? Like, I don't know how you, I don't know how you get around that. So we'll see. Can you talk about why the tie clinch has disappeared from MMA? It went from Silva destroying Franklin's face to almost never seeing it used. Uh, I don't think people train it as much as they used to. I don't think it's a, um, I don't think it's a, priority in training in the way that it once was uh, i think people think you can be taken down from there which is true that it it, it takes time like you don't just put your hands beside behind someone's head and like oh i'm in the clinch now like there's a whole science to it matt brown has a whole uh technique series on it on bjj fanatics i think i bought it i've never watched it not yet anyway but uh my plan is to because he's got a whole system in place like the clinch, like any other position, requires expertise and requires timing. So I think you've seen some people who are pretty good at it, but a lot of the guys who are good at it are naturally striking based and they want to hit and go. They want to get like, you know, one knee to the face and a push off and move. They don't want to hang out there. Anderson knew how to like really control that space. And that control doesn't come easily. It takes a lot of time. It's the same with mount. Like mount, people are getting better at mount now that people are realizing shortcuts to mount and back through back exposure. So you're seeing a little bit more of that, but uh, so this might come back around, by the way. But for a long time, Mount was just a lost art in MMA. Uh, I think the tie clinch has just become a lost art. After the UFC 281, after UFC 281, the strawweight champs would have fought each other 14 times. Could they be called the five queens of MMA or something long term, like the the four kings? We might have to start doing that. We'll see how things go. Like if Asparza wins, and well, even then she kind of enters the conversation too. But yeah, we might have to start doing that. That division is weird and awesome at the same time. Will you be a monthly sub to Elon's blue check mark? I don't want to be. I might do it candidly, just for like uh, professional reasons. I kind of want to see which way the wind blows on this one. Like I said before. Uh, opinions on uh edgy bra and go oh, is edgy bra is that eddie bravo i think that's who it is right in combat jujitsu i'm not the biggest fan I'll, eddie has been obviously uh you know eddie eddie's ebi series has just been really really good for jujitsu and really good for nogi jujitsu and he deserves a lot of credit i don't know how valuable the 10 planet and also 10th planet has been really good for nogi jujitsu I don't know how good the 10th planet submission system is for the very, very best in the world. It does seem like, um, and I'm, I'm going to be very clear about this before someone sends this to someone else who's like a 10th planet black belt and everyone gets rages at me. My understanding of this is limited to the extent I understand it. It seems like there are some really good guys who do compete, compete with the A-level guys like Gio Martinez and stuff like that. But it doesn't seem like the 10th planet system, broadly speaking, suitably works at the highest level of Nogi. I could be wrong. That's my un, that's my that, that's the impression that I get from this. Um, and combat jujitsu is a little weird where they're kind of slapping and hitting, but sort of not really. I will say that, look, any guy like Eddie is going to experiment in a number of different directions. And some of those experiments are going to work and some are not going to work. Some of the stuff he's tried, I don't think has worked all that well, but a lot of the stuff has. And uh, in particular, his EBI thing was, I think, in, extremely important in being like, met, there were other shows before Metamorphs, but Metamorphs really put like pro jujitsu on the map. And that was Gi and no Gi, but it really took like, uh, it put jujitsu in a very different light. And then EBI took some of the rules 
that he saw Minamorus couldn't answer for. I remember he rematched Hoyler in, in, in Minamorus and beat him. And uh, and then that redid the rules to make it work. And then he was able to get the Danaher guys to buy in, which I think lifted the credibility of the whole thing. And then they went on to do other things. But now people really like the EBI system. Like It was majorly important in advancing the interests and cause of no geek grappling. I really mean that. And also like him arguing for years, like you don't need to train the gi to get good at no gi. He was right about that. He was right about that. He was right about that when everyone else who was an A-level grappler was wrong. But, um, you know, do I like the combat jujitsu? Like, it's not for me. It's not for me. Uh, oh, yeah. If you like 1985, there's a movie called uh, Argentina 1985 or 1985 Argentina. I just saw I finished it last night. It's on uh, Amazon Prime. Fucking awesome. Highly recommend you watch El Secreto de Sus Ojos, The Secrets in Their Eyes. Already seen it, bruv. They made an English language version of this. I think like Julia Roberts was in it. It fucking sucked. You have to see the Argentinian version. And there is a scene where a person is in the elevator with a presumed, I'll just say this, really bad person. It is one of the most spectacular scenes I've ever seen in my life. An amazing, amazing movie. And you just put the captions on. It's not that hard to read. El El Secreto de Sus Ojos, The Secrets Under Eyes. Um, or the secret in their eyes in this particular case. Uh, amazing movie. In fact, I think that the guy who plays the lead protagonist in Argentina 1985 is the lead protagonist or, or is in that movie. He's like an Argentine actor. It's well-made, dude. It's Both of those movies are really well-made. Also, if you want 10 out of 10 in Spanish rock, check out La Razón Que Tu Demora from La Renga your super fan from Argentina. Well, thank you, Ignacio. Thank you, Nacho. I appreciate that. I will, I will look into I will look into this one. La razón que tu demora. All right. How do we view Cejudo or Connor among the goats if one of them hits a three-belt status? Fucking A. I don't know. I really, 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 really don't know. Um... I mean, they're in the conversation, right? At that point. Man. <sighs> so Hudo gets the 145-pound belt. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that because while that would be a monumental... I, oh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Cejudo has fewer blemishes on his resume to this point. So, A, I think his chances of doing it are much better than Connor's right now. Um, Anybody who gets three belts in UFC is going to be on your short list for Mount Rushmore. I mean, at a bare minimum. It would have to depend on the circumstances. I really couldn't answer in a vacuum like that. I appreciate the question, but I, I can't give you a much better answer. How old and washed are you? 43 and pathetic. Pathetic. Uh, This person says, weighing in, which I think is the Big John and Josh Thompson podcast, is biased. Punk's reason. Says, I'm a homer. So you want me to listen to you because you're biased? (laughs) What value do you bring? Well, we're all biased. I get that you love AKA and Bellator, but keep it personal, professional apart. I mean, here's the thing. I actually don't mind that. 
I don't mind that. No, you don't want to watch someone who's like, you know, or maybe you do, but I'll say this, like go to who you like for whatever reason you like them. But you guys have heard me say this a million times, a million times. It is incumbent upon the person who has a role like this, or if they write or whatever, if you have an audience, you must tell the audience what your preferences are. You must tell the audience what your worldview is because then they can orient themselves around you. Like, does anyone, I hope no one thinks this. I am not under the idea that anything I say here or when I do my dissectage or this side of the room or anything is biblical. I am, I don't, I don't labor under the, under the delusion that anything I say is like written in stone. All of it is debatable. All of it is up for uh, review and reflection and change and editing and challenging all of it, all of it, all of it. I don't live under the idea that none of these things are, you know, above reproach. All of them are, can be called into question when necessary. So the best thing that you can do is to let your audience know what your worldview is. Now, of course, at some point you want to dial that back and try to be as you know reasonable as you can be. But if you strongly believe in something, Right. I strongly believe that, I don't know, make up something. The German language is the best. Like you gotta, you gotta, you should tell the audience why that's the case and then you should make your case for it. But like, I don't mind that he says that. Now, if you don't like that particular form of a bias and you don't, that is unappealing to you, well, that's a different thing. But as a, as a rule, people who like media figures, right? And again, everyone's got different views about this. It's not like what I'm saying, even about this is true. But me as a media consumer, when I see someone in the media say like, oh, I'm objective about this or, you know, we try to bring an objective voice, like I don't trust those motherfuckers at all, at all. Like you, you're not what, what, what skin color you have, how tall you are, how rich you grew up. Did you move around as a kid? Did you grow up in the middle of the country? Did you grow up on the coast? Did your parents hit you? Did you go to boarding school? Did you have traumatic experiences? Were you rich? Were you popular? Were you good looking? Did school go well? Did school go poorly? Did a girl break your heart? Were you in a traffic accident? Did you witness war? Did you witness famine? Any of these things will shape your worldview profoundly. And none of them has an individual purchase on the truth. They're just the best as you can ascertain the world given how you understand it and given how you were made in it. And the audience needs to know that. They need to know that. Like when people are like, I'm a, I'm, I'm going to bring an objective. No, the fuck you are not. No, you're not. Like you're, you, it is impossible. There's no such thing. Uh, for At least for in terms of human view of things. So I always try and make sure that the audience can, and I know it pisses them off sometimes, but I'd rather you be mad that you knew what my view is than not. And then I'm lying to you about the, the uh, like, oh, here's my expertise because I'm objective. No, here's how I see the world. This is my opinion about X or Y matter. You should make a judgment about that accordingly. Do you think religion offers any net benefit to society uh, that we wouldn't have if the country world became secular tomorrow? I think the short answer to this is that it plays a deeply important role in fostering socialization and community and purpose for a wide swath of people. I, it's not for me, uh, either Abrahamic religion, religions or, or Abrahamic religions or non-Abrahamic religions. Um, I don't find a ton of value in them for me, but a lot of people do. And there is a lot of social cohesion that I think is lost, or I should say that we are losing by virtue of the decline in religiosity, certainly of the American population. 
there's studies to that effect quite that are incontestable, like fewer and fewer people go to synagogue, go to mosque, go to church uh, than ever before in this country's history, at least measurably. And I don't think there's, I think you can find purpose and you can find meaning and you can find socialization without those things, but they naturally do. Like I grew up in the South, like the church is community, um, you know, but I also don't agree with any of their moral guidelines or worldview. So I can, I can appreciate the good parts about them such as they exist, but I don't, for me, retreating to them seems untenable. Pull up a side-by-side -side of you and Dr. Fate from Black Adam on the screen. All right, let me see. <laughs> Do I look like some bozo in the Black Adam movie? Let's see. Oh, Pierce Brosnan looking old as shit. Oh, that's fucking hilarious. All right, let me do this. Yo. <laughs> is that is that me? I, I I wish I looked like Pierce Brosnan. Let me tell you, motherfucker. I wished. Golly. That's funny. That's funny. All right. Sorry for jinxing Crawford Spence, and I hate to say I told you so, but yeah, the whole situation sucks. Well, they fought on Twitter last night. Y'all see that? They fought on Twitter last night. That was something. I'm not sure what, but it was something. Um, so that might be all we get. I, I, I really don't know how you look at what Bud did. By the way, the guy behind BLK Prime apparently has like had multiple bankruptcies, among a number of other like show, not showing up for court issues. Real sketchy character. Like it's very hard. I, I have no. I have no idea why PBC didn't offer a guarantee for either Spence or. Um, Crawford, I don't know. I don't have no, I, I can't even understand that, but whatever, neither got a guarantee. So I understand some of Bud's you know, apprehension, but then to go for an easier fight with like fly by night money, eh, eh, uh, thanks to Darcy. Let's keep going. Uh, someone says punk taking the media to task. I'm talking about uh, Josh Thompson. It's not the media's job to, earn jt and john a paycheck i don't think that's what he said they are not homers for bellator well i mean the one thing he said was it's it, you know you got to promote no it's not their job to promote it is their job to cover it here's the real big problem the real big problem is that there are two ways and sometimes they intersect but there are two ways that coverage basically happens one is by virtue of responsibility hey this is a significant event in the sport we 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 owe it um coverage another one is hey this is a really popular thing we could get a lot of clicks from it we should cover it and then sometimes the two are right on top of each other the problem i think bellator is up against is they do have some meaningful fights but it seems to me like their popularity has declined um relative to whatever peak it had during the you know 2014 or when, when i'm not sure when the peak would be but it has i think certainly since the pandemic and even before that it has suffered uh popularity decline that is quite noticeable and so you can make an argument for covering it in terms of the necessity, like you have a responsibility to cover these other events. And I think that's right. But then what you have to say is, well, it's not just clicks for fun. Remember, the clicks are what they use to sell ads. The ads are how they pay their bills, right? So there's built into the system, there's this inherent need to maximally get traffic or streams or clicks or so, whatever as a design for people say it for clout but if you're in the media business it's for paying your bills 
um, and Bellator doesn't provide a substantial reward on the second front. And so I think there is not as much media coverage as there could be as a consequence of that. So like if they want more coverage based on, and this is not unique to MMA media, this is sports media, this is the New York Times, this is indie media, although some are subscription-based. But even then, like the way in which, what issues they focus on, like, you know, can very much be tailored to maximize those ends. The way a newspaper used to work was they would sell classifieds, right? And then whatever the money was, they would use to fund, hey, our Moscow Bureau and this stupid-ass story and blah, blah, blah. There was some level of them being divorced. Once that went away and coverage was related directly to advertising and, and what kind of coverage got you more advertising money, that ruined the whole ballgame. I mean, it, it ruins a strong word. It certainly changed it, and it didn't make it better. It made it much worse, in my view. But as but it's just the way media works now, for the vast, for not in every way, but for the overwhelming majority of institutions and even people, that's the way that it works. So, any in our space, any media organization, any uh, MMA organization is going to suffer from that or benefit from that, depending on the situation. So, I do think that they are owed coverage. In terms of this being like, hey, this is a thing we should pay attention to. This is a, a major organization doing something with a sort of relatively major organization in Ryzen. That's that's worth paying attention to. 100% true. But if they want the gravy that comes after it, they have to raise the popularity of the product. Uh, how have Vivo shoes benefited your overall health? With the exception of the tendonitis at the insertion point in my right ankle, overall quite well. My toes have moved back to a more normal position. My feet are massively strengthened um, in, in almost every way. Great. I got to figure out the problem with my insertion. If anyone knows how to deal with tendonitis at the insertion point of the Achilles heel into the bone or the Achilles uh, tendon into the bone, I, I could use some help because that part I cannot figure out how to fix. Uh, have I seen the movie Sicario? Yes, of course. I'm 100% convinced you and your wife would like it. We saw it. Plot is about U.S. drug war in Mexico. Just saw it. Yeah, it's good. Benicio Del Toro plays a guy from the Colombian. Where is he from? Where is, is he? Is he, is he Spanish or Mexican? I don't even know. Benicio Del Toro. What is he? Puerto Rican. Hey, didn't know. My wife was like, he has no Colombian accent whatsoever. <laughs> and his, I mean, he's obviously fluent, but he had no Colombian accent whatsoever. But it's a good movie. Yeah, I liked it. Sicario 2, not as good. Uh, Substack, medium, or both? Can you import email lists from one to the other? Have no idea. Have no idea. People want me to get on Substack? I don't know if I have any interest in doing it. Do you think there's a cycle to MMA? Wrestling to BJJ to boxing to kickboxing? It would be interesting to see if it's... I don't know what you mean by cycle. Oh, wrestling leads to BJJ, leads to boxing, leads to kickbox. I don't know. I don't think it's quite so linear. I think it's actually quite all over the place. Any tips for attending my first UFC event next week? Well, you're going to be in New York City. Well, first of all, if you're in New York City, enjoy New York City. It's one of the greatest cities in the world. The other thing I would say is go to, to any free media event, which I always say, go to weigh-ins, the whole nine yards, check fighters or ufc updates on signings there's a shop in the lower east side oh what's the name of it it's like fight collective or something there's a shop like on the other i think it's right near orchard street um near the manhattan bridge 
and they have like all kinds of cool fight shorts and hoodies and t-shirts and printings and all kinds of cool stuff. There's going to be all kinds of signings related to that. Go to those, um, show up early for the ticket. You paid for it, get the full experience and, uh, yeah, have fun. But what you have to remember is there's going to be free events that the UFC is going to put on that are related to the event itself. And then there's going to be all kinds of stuff out in town. Do your due diligence about what's going to be out there and go have a good time. Go have a good time. And don't give the fighters COVID, please. Uh, I see some media calling for immediate rematch if Izzy loses to Alex. Buy or sell. If it's controversial, I could buy. If it's uh, like decisive if for any reason, no. Chances of UNBC getting Sean Strickland for room service diaries. I would say it's fairly low. Fairly low. Uh, what do you think about the rhythm step? Yeah, I've, it's something I, I try. You know, I don't uh, I don't have strong opinions about it because I don't know that I fully, fully, fully understand it. Um, Barry Robinson's got a whole system, right? So the rhythm step is one thing that he uh, talks about and has really identified, and it's very interesting to me. Um, but he's got a whole broader system. I think the rhythm step analysis fits into it. He's got L-step analysis and other stuff. I, I Just for like a month, I want to sit down and consume all of it so I can have a much better opinion. But I will tell you, now that I've seen it, I can't unsee it. I can't unsee it. I mean, there are times it does appear like it's not as costly as it could be, especially in, in MMA or uh, I don't know about kickboxing, but especially in MMA where they stand a little bit further apart. So if someone rhythm steps, the other person's not in a space to necessarily take advantage of it. Although I think he would probably, I don't want to speak for him, but I think he might make a point about bad habits leading to bad outcomes. But uh, as a general rule, um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting uh, thesis, man. It really is. It's, it's very interesting to pick up on tendencies and what they mean and how fighters take advantage of them and, and whatnot. I have asked other fighters at times, did you notice someone rhythm stepping before you knocked them out? Because I've seen that. And they said that they didn't necessarily notice it. And then when they watched the tape, they did notice it. So I just don't have a fully clear sense of it. But it's something I do pay attention to. I listen to everything he try, He says within uh, the time frame, that, or time dimensions that I have. Um, I got to learn more. I got to learn more. Interim belt at 145. I wouldn't mind it. If he's going to move up, he has to give up one of them. So... Yeah, I'm okay with it. I don't know if you mentioned this, but the Bloody Elbow article about one's financial issues is one in true trouble or is this growing pains? You mean the previous one about their losses at nearly $400 million? Yes, we've been over this in great detail on MK. If there's a new one, I'm not aware of it. If Pareto wins, where he'll rank pound for pound on Tuesday? Well, just because you beat someone at the near top of the list doesn't mean you also have the body of work to justify it, but he'll probably enter the top 10. Luke, thoughts on Bryce and his stubborn belief that the earth is truly flat and he has evidence to prove it. Keep up the great work. I mean, I don't know what you're supposed to say something like that. Bryce is an amazing competitor, and um, I can't wait for his fight against Ilya Toporia, but the earth flat, it's just fucking nonsense. Like, it's just, there's nothing, there's nothing to evaluate. It's not real. So that that's the end of that. Um, are there any cool trends happening in MMA that you want to talk about briefly? Mount is coming back in a very interesting way. I would tell you the more I watch tape, the more that I see is that um, guys are getting much better at boxing. Much better at boxing. Taking in, weaving, bobbing, slipping. 
and then finding attacks off of that. It's much harder to block, back up, and then re-engage the opponent and whatever you're going to do versus slipping and countering and then in that moment finding that. And that's quite obviously true. That's not some grand revelation, but the people who can do that effectively in MMA are small in number. But here's the thing. It's growing. I see it growing. I see it growing in the number of them at the top of the card. I see it growing down the card as well. I see it in every place. So it's still a small number, but that level of sophistication to do that, it's not easy to do. It's very difficult. And not every boxing trick will work in MMA. But I think you're seeing more of that kind of thing effectively employed in a range of use cases in high-level MMA. And that is very exciting. Very exciting. All right. I went for a long-ass time today. That is it. Thank you guys so much for watching. I greatly appreciate it. As always, uh, I'm going to a concert tonight. I'm going to see Cannibal Corpse tonight. That's actually true. That's not a bit. They're here in, well, D.C. area. They're here in D.C. area. So if I see you there, please don't be weird. And please don't give me COVID because I have to go next week. And then they would blow all, all of my plans. And I don't want to do that. So, um, uh, but yeah, I'm going to be there tonight. And uh, But this will be up tonight before I go to bed. So thank you guys so much for watching. I appreciate it. Thank you for the donations. Thanks for all the folks who watched. Until next time, um, stay frosty. Yeah, do all that good stuff.